0: Amen. We do truly need the Lord, all of us, and we come to confess that together. If you have a copy of God's Word, find Genesis chapter 29, continuing through the life of Jacob. and picking up where we left off last week, Genesis chapter 29. And we'll begin reading at verse 31, and read all the way through to the end of chapter 30 together. The Word of God says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah, go into her that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her. So she, gave him, so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to him, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then you may lie with him tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah and conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my home and my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed you because of me. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with you, for you have had little before I came. It has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I've turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look at my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set at a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock." Then Jacob took the fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks into them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, so the flocks brought forth, striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces on the, of the flocks toward the, stri, the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay in the sticks and the trough before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, He would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. This is the word of God. I can't be the only one that likes a sad story. Not all the time, because if you get obsessed and listen to sad music and a sad story all the time, it can really have an impact on your mental health. But we can all be honest. Sometimes you just need a good cry, don't you? Or to use a biblical word, sometimes you just need a good lament a good lament, a time of mourning. In fact, I think much of what our culture is doing when it has gotten consumed with sadness and emo music and sad documentaries or movies is to lament, to mourn the fallenness of creation. Consider that Romans chapter 8 says that the impact of sin has made the whole of creation grown together. Look at Romans 8, 30, 23. Romans 8.23 says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, as believers, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That even believers mourn, lament, and long for the freedom of creation. We wait eagerly for the freedom of all creation, which it summarizes as the adoption of. As sons, the redemption of our bodies. A day when not only our own bodies, but all of creation will be free from things like cancer, heartbreak, death, COVID, politics, whatever it is, our world will be free from the evil of it. But in the meantime, sad stories not only exist, but they abound. And Genesis 29 and 30 is a sad story full of brokenness and the pervasiveness of sin. Last week, we saw that Jacob, the son of promise, has now married two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and last week ended with a statement that foreshadowed the problems to come in this family. Look at chapter 29, verse 30. Look at this. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Jacob though he was a product of a home marred with favoritism, was now showing favoritism to one wife over the other. He shouldn't have even have had two wives, but now he's in a bitter feud between these two sisters. Yet, I want us to see that even behind this truly heartbreaking story, God is not absent. God is not absent. In fact, if I could sum up this passage in one statement, and this is in your notes, here it is. What they, being the family, intended to divide, God intended to multiply. What they, the family, intended to divide, God intended to multiply. And we see this in two instances, one involving Jacob fathering 11 sons, and one involving Jacob tending sheep. Let's look at the first part here, that God multiplies Jacob's sons. God multiplies Jacob's sons. And in five movements, we start here with Leah's sons. We move from God multiplying Jacob's sons. Now, it starts with considering Leah's sons. Look at verse 31. And consider just the sadness of these words. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Thus she ceased bearing. So Leah longed to be loved by Jacob and yet was hated by him. Rachel had the love of Jacob, but she had a barren womb And my heart goes out to Leah because she is actually the rightful wife of Jacob, right? She was the first one to be married to him, even if the whole marriage happened based on a scheme of her father Laban. She was the first wife, yet she's being treated like a second-class citizen. And she begins to give these children to Jacob, and she names them what ultimately is going on inside of her heart. And it's really sad. Look at this. First, she gives birth to Reuben she gives birth to Reuben and Reuben's name means look a son or signaling that she longed for her father's attention or it could also mean look my affliction going hey look at how awful life has been to me and she hoped that the son would prompt Jacob's attention and that she would have her husband's love and when that doesn't work She brings a second child into the picture. And the second child was named Simeon, which sounds like the Hebrew word for heard because the Lord had heard her affliction. And the strategy wasn't working, but she kept trying anyway, right? Son number three comes into the picture and his name is Levi. And it sounds like the word for attached. She said all three of these children with the hope that they can help her gain Jacob's love and affection. Isn't that just heartbreaking? Isn't that just so sad? First, shame on Jacob for not loving her as he was called to, but also Leah probably should not have been attempting this strategy. Let me say this, people try this today. They may not try it exactly like Leah did, but people somehow think that they're with a, a partner or with someone, and they think marriage will suddenly fix them. All the issues of their partner is going to go away because you put a ring on it. Does that work? No, right? Absolutely. Or they think, well, I'm married to him and I know there's all these problems. Let's bring children into the picture because a crying baby will fix all of our problems, right? It doesn't work because only the Lord could do what she was trying to do. A baby wasn't going to solve the issue, and she showed her faith was not in the right place, at least for the first three children, right? But by child number four, there's a little bit of growth in Leah's perspective. Look at verse 35. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So Judah's name means praise, and Leah longed to gain Jacob's love, but she came to recognize that it was the praise of the Lord that should have been her hope. Did you notice that even from the very first verse of this section that the Lord was with her, and in your Bible that's probably in all caps, which means that the divine name Yahweh is being used there, and it says verse 31, the Lord saw With the birth of Simeon, the Lord heard her cry, and the Lord had allowed her to conceive. And rather than put all of her focus on Jacob's affection, she concludes by looking at what matters most, the praise of the Lord. Friends, what has our attention? Are you living your life for the affection and attention of others or for the praise of God? What ultimately drives your life? Is it the word well done from a coworker or a boss or a spouse? Or is it to hear from God on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant? Let me tell you, getting praise for your work is a good thing. It is good, but it is a terrible God. Living for praise is a terrible God. And so may we be people with hearts ignited for praise and glory to God, not praise and glory to ourselves. But the situation gets even more devastated as we move from Leah's sons to Bilha's sons. Bilha, the servant, Bilhah's sons. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Who would have seen that coming, right? And she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. See the sadness of this. Leah longed for love but was given children. Rachel had love but longed for children. They both had what the other wanted and they envied each other for it. We would never do something like that, would we? None of us have ever envied what someone else has had, right? And envy ultimately empties our hearts and our lives of its joy and our hope. It never solves anything. And Rachel, out of desperation, declares to Jacob, Give me children or I die. So just like Leah, she was looking to Jacob to be her hope, but with a different outcome. Hear me, hear me here. Clear application, whether you're married or not. Hear me, spouses make terrible gods. Spouses make terrible gods. Even if you're single, hear me, marriage isn't going to suddenly fix all your problems, and it isn't going to bring you all that's often promised to come with it. Your husband, your wife, your future husband or wife is a good gift, but a bad god. They're a good gift, but a bad God. Don't make your spouse your idol, living for nothing but their approval and setting them up as the savior of your life. Because look what it did to them. It just wrecked Rachel and Leah's life. Going, if you don't do this for me, my whole hope is lost. They should have known they had hope that transcended what their husband might have been doing at that time. Both of them... And particularly Rachel had given Jacob expectations he simply couldn't meet. He can't make her suddenly pregnant. He can't fix this, right? And he knows this. Look at what he asks in verse 2. So Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So Rachel thought Jacob could do what only God could do. Leah sought love from Jacob, which he should have given. Yet the love she ultimately needed was the love she'd already received from the Lord. And Rachel should have realized her barrenness didn't come in a vacuum. Because all of the women that God used in Genesis were originally barren. Think about it, right? Sarah, Abraham's wife, barren. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, were both barren, and yet, through trusting the Lord, God himself provided a child of promise wasn 't Jacob a testimony to that? Jacob and Esau came through barren Rebekah, and that it was only God himself who could bring a dead womb to life because he alone is the God of resurrection and Rachel should have known this and trusted this, but sadly. Rachel pursued a familiar scheme that ended in a familiar way. You all, we've been reading Genesis. You know what's about to happen, right? Verse 3, then she said, Here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son, Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and he has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. So Rachel did with Bilhah exactly what Sarah, back in chapter 16, did with Hagar. And in her mind, the answer to two wives at war is to add a third woman into the mix to be a surrogate, right? This is just a great idea. Let's bring another one into the mix. She's so desperate for a child, she would even let another woman be with her husband. And shame on Jacob for going along with it. Let me note that. Jacob should have had, should have really spoken up at some point along in this, right? So shame on him for that. Rachel had his love, but she wanted so much more. And so we get son number five, Dan, whose name means judged. And then they do it again. Look at verse seven. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So that name Naphtali means wrestlings. And Rachel seemed here only concerned with one-upping her sister. Did you see that? She's had these children, and she's like, Ha, I'm, I've beaten her. That's all she wanted. And consider this, that idolatry always changes your priorities. Idolatry will always change your priorities. What started as maybe a godly desire got distorted, and then was transformed into a sinful desire. See this with Leah. Leah longed for love, which isn't necessarily a wrong thing, right, to long for love. But she began to be defined by what her husband thought, and then it got transformed into having something her sister didn't have. See how that switch happened? Rachel longed for children. And again, that isn't a wrong desire for her to have but it got distorted to something that became life-defining and then got distorted into a competition with her sister. Idolatry will always transform your desires because that's what worship does. True worship always transforms your heart. True worship will transform your heart into what God wants, while idolatry will transform your heart into more of what you want. You become what you worship you want to see this in the scripture look at psalm 115 look at this look at the language the psalmist uses their idols are silver and gold the work of human hands they have mouths but do not speak eyes but do not see they have ears but do not hear noses but do not smell they have hands but do not feel feet but do not walk they do not make a sound in their throat look at this here it is those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them and idols don't have to be some sort of weird thing of gold or silver you set up on a counter friends it can be a drug you put in your arm it can be a video you watch on the te- uh, you watch that you know you're not supposed to watch on the computer or on your phone. It can be a person that, that's in your life. Idols can come in all shapes and sizes, and since you become what you worship, ask yourself, what are you worshiping? And you will ultimately know what you're becoming. What is the source of your worship? Everybody worships. Hear this, even the most staunch atheist out there in the world, they worship something, or someone. Someone gets their hope, their heart, their attention, all that they're living for. And ask yourself, who or what are you trusting in? Because you become what you worship. And we move from Leah's sons to Bilhah's sons now to Zilpah's sons. Zilpah's sons. And we'll get to Leah in a second with this. Look at this. Verse 9. Look at this. by another servant, this time the servant of Leah. And the children were called Gad, which means good fortune, and Asher, which means happy. Her mood might have changed, but her heart is still the same. And truly, her momentary happiness couldn't change the emptiness of her life because if she were truly happy in the Lord, why would she have pursued this scheme again? She was trying to find her ultimate satisfaction in her husband rather than in her God. And there's a total of 11 sons that have come out of this picture, which means we've got three more to go, and neither Leah nor Rachel learn their lesson. In fact, the scene moves now to your fourth point here to Leah's sons, part two. <laughs> You'll see that in your notes, right? Leah's sons, part two. And look at Verse 14. When Rachel, when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. So think about this. This is wild, isn't it? This is just... Dr. Phil-level stuff, right? So Rachel had come to believe, likely due to some prominent cultural ideas of the day, that by eating mandrakes, which is a fruit, she would become more fertile, that she'd be fruitful by eating of this fruit. So Rachel exchanges her husband for some food. I don't know if any of us, I don't know if any of you ladies have ever thought about that, but exchanging your husband for some food, right? And what a scheme. She says, you can have the man tonight, but I want the man Drake's." She has now, in the desire for a child, sold her husband, who's a, a key part of that whole having a child thing, right? And she does it in the name of some weird conspiracy science, right, of the day that she might have heard about. And the language here of selling And wages is actually the same language that was used in the previous chapter when Jacob became Laban's slave. So she basically sells her husband to her. Son number five for Leah and son number five overall is Issachar, whose name means wages. And the Mandrake effect, the whole Mandrake episode is the opposite effect because two more children come through Leah. Look at this. And Leah conceived again, verse 19, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. We've only been hearing about sons, but consider there's an, un-no- there's an untold number of daughters that are in this whole picture. Dinah's mentioned because she's going to come up later in Genesis. We'll get there. But she's got a son here named Zebulun, whose name means honor. And the section closes without any solution, but with Rachel finally giving birth. And the final, the fifth movement, the fifth point is Rachel's son. Rachel's son. Verse 22, look at this. Then God remembered Rachel and listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Joseph's name either can mean taken away or added to, depending on what word she might be drawing from to get his name. But at the end of it, there we have it. A sad story ending in 11 births through four women, 11 births, four women, a family at war, and yet God is at work. Friends, he heard the cries of Leah, and friends, hear me, he hears your cries of your despair, whatever despair, whatever pitch you're in, he loved and heard Leah And we also must recognize that God, in the midst of all this, was keeping his promises, even despite the fallenness of this family. See, remember, God had promised Jacob seed that he would give him many sons and that a nation would come through him, that the wives intended to divide Jacob, but God intended to multiply him. And here in Genesis 29, we see the promise begin to find fulfillment as we have the origin of 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that should apply to you, friends, to hear this. Your story may be messy, but that doesn't mean God isn't in it. Your story may be messy, but God, friends, is in it. Eleven sons. There's going to be a twelfth one on the way. We'll get to that at a future date. But God had promised Jacob children. And, friends, Jacob got children. Maybe not in the most ideal way possible. He and his family were 100% responsible for this whole mess, but God was still at work in it. And along with that, remember, Jacob wasn't just promised children, But he was promised land and blessing alongside that, right? He he was given the promise of Abraham, and Abraham was promised what we've been saying is land, seed, and blessing. And so we move from multiplying sons to multiplying flocks. God multiplies Jacob's flock. You got this weird sort of account here at the end, but there's incredible implications for us if we think about it. Look at verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. So think about this. Jacob's been with Laban now for 14 years to get his wives, plus however many years he spent with his various wives pregnant. That must have been an interesting time in his life, right? And poor Jacob says, I just want to go home get me out of here. Let me go home with my my four wives now and my 11 kids. Let me pick up in the minivan and head home, right? But Laban has some other plans. Look at verse 27. But Laban said to him, have I found favor in your sight? I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. So Laban wants to do anything he can to keep Jacob. He'll pay him anything. And Laban was blessed, right? Laban was being blessed by virtue of Jacob, even though, notice... He was participating in divination. We're going to find out next week that Laban had all sorts of idols hanging out in his house. Laban was certainly not a Christian or not a, not a believer in the promise at all, but he was benefiting from the promise given to Jacob by virtue of being with him. And we see the promise of Genesis 12 echoed here that those who bless the son of promise were going to be blessed. And also consider that just in passing, Laban could have paid his son-in-law more but he didn't. Did you think about that? It's very likely that Jacob has been che- that Laban, sorry, has been cheating Jacob for decades, which means he also was cheating his daughters and his grandchildren. What an awful guy, right? Who would ever who would ever do that? Regardless of how you might feel about your kids cheating your own grandkids, I mean, come on, you know, Laban's not a good guy. In the picture, And so Jacob forms this plan in response to this. Look at verse 29. So Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your flocks have fared with me. For you had little before I came and has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. In other words, Jacob says, of all these lambs, I'm going to keep the black sheep or any of the spotted goats from the flock. Now, you don't have to know a ton about genetics to know. You don't really see a lot of black sheep running around, right? Right? You don't necessarily see a lot of these sort of spotted goats running around. So from the perspective of, of genetics, Jacob is going to get the, the ones that have sort of the recessive genes, the uncommon ones, right? The, the black sheep and the spotted goats. And then compound what happens next, verse 35. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban made it even harder for Jacob by taking all of his current recessive flock and giving them away, so the decks kind of stacked against him now, right? And Jacob does something a little unusual in response to this. Let's finish the section, verse 37 to the end, to 43. Look at this. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering place where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted and Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flock toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he, put his own, and he put his own droves apart, and he did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But not the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Look at this. So Jacob takes sticks, peels white into them so that they would be speckled, and he set them by the watering hole. We don't know whether this was some sort of superstition of the day, or maybe these sticks being there somehow drove these animals in some effect into how they mated together. We don't really know, but he separated the flocks in order to make sure he got the kind he needed, and he made sure that the weaker animals went with Laban. <laughs> he made sure the weaker ones went with him. It's kind of an unusual, but clever. And verse 43 is really the point that we need to get here, and that is that he increased greatly in blessing of flocks, of servants, of camels, and donkeys. He'd been given offspring. He'd now been phys- He'd now been given physical blessing And he's going to head back home. And that's what we will look at next week. But see that Laban tried to divide Jacob, but God intended to multiply him. And you'll see this in your notes that God was going to keep his promise of land, seed, and blessing. Remember, that was the promise he gave all the way back to Abraham, gave through Jacob, or gave through Isaac, and now was given to Jacob. God was going to keep his promise of land, seed, and blessing. And you might be coming to me going, well, what what does this have to do with me? What does all this weird stuff with sheep and genetics have to do with my life? Or maybe you're saying, hey, I don't think I'm going to end up in a love rectangle like Jacob was, right? Or that I'm going to need a class in how to multiply my flocks. What is the purpose of this for me? And here it is. God's promises never Fail. That's what you need to take home with you today is that God's promises never fail. Life was and is full of many intentions on all sides. All of Jacob's family had their own purposes and plans and intentions, but it was God's intention that ultimately prevailed. His promise never fails. Let me illustrate something incredible through the testimony of a guy named William Cowper, who was a poet. And a hymn writer, he lived between 1731 and, the, and 1800, so a long time ago. He suffered his whole life with intense spells of depression, anxiety, and doubt. He actually he, he, he was a hymn writer, and he once tried to kill himself by drowning. And that was one of multiple attempts on his life that he did. And he spent the majority of his life, much like Leah was, in a deep, dark despair. And his life is a sad story. We talked about sad stories are prevalent in a fallen world. And so, friends, that that his life was a sad story. And Cowper wrote many poems and hymns, like I said, several that have stood the test of time. But one that I think is incredibly powerful that I want us to consider, particularly if you have a cloud that looms over your life. He wrote a poem called Light Shining Out of the Darkness in 1773, which became the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And here's here's what he wrote. Here's how this poem goes. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Isn't that an incredible poem, And this is not only a testimony of the purposes of God and the clouds and storms and bitter buds of William Cowper. It's certainly a testimony to the life of Jacob and his wife and children. But, friends, it's a testimony for you and the sufferings of your life. What if the clouds that you now dread are filled with rains of blessing? What if we recognize that God may be a better interpreter of our life than we are? God's promises never fail, and yet each of us may have our own purposes. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. And the sufferings of Leah were not purposeless. The barrenness of Rachel was not, purposeless, was not purposeless. Even their sinful responses, though they bear total responsibility, were not outside of God's gracious plan. God was going to birth a nation through whom a true son would come. And you would expect, at this point, the spotlight of the story to be on Joseph, the son of the barren woman, and certainly Genesis was going to talk a lot about that, but it's actually through Judah the son of a wife hated by her husband, that the promise would continue. Jacob will bless Judah in Genesis 49 with the promises of Abraham, and through Judah would come a lion, a lion who would also be a lamb. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was going to come through the line of Leah. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Behind a broken family came the savior of mankind. What man intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many souls. What they intended to divide, God intended to multiply. God's purposes prevail and his promises never fail. Despite all the family's attempts, God was going to win out that Jesus Christ would come born of a woman born under the law sent sent into the world through a barren virgin girl and he lived a perfect life without envy like Rachel or Leah or without any sin at all in perfect obedience to God's word he died on a roman cross in the place of sinners but far worse than what the romans did to him was what happened there when god when god poured out on him The judgment, do our sin, and he died in our place as we deserve to die. And he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, so that through turning from our sin and placing our faith in Jesus, our sin is placed on him, and his perfect life is credited to us. This is what the gospel is. Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus knew no sin. He was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the great exchange? Our sin placed on Jesus, his perfect life credited to us, so that our bank account of debt paid in full, but we also get the perfect account of Jesus credited to us. It's what we sang together this morning. Our hope, our righteousness. Lord, we need you. Our only hope and the only hope of all humanity, whether it be Jacob and his wives who looked forward in faith or for any of us now looking back in faith, Jesus is our only hope. And he sees, he hears, and he knows. Whatever it is, why not cast it on him? Whatever sin might be in your life, idolatry, thing that you're worshiping that's wrecking your life, why not place it down at his feet? Why not lay it on the cross? Or maybe you have anxieties in your life and the scriptures invite us to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. His purposes will hold fast. But regardless, God, when he speaks from his word, calls for a response. And so, whatever that means, whether you need to come forward during the next song and pray, whether you need to just sit where you are in your brokenness and cry out to God, whatever you need to do, know that God saw, heard, and knew the sufferings of Leah, and he knows the same for you. And that he's ready to hear you if you call upon him. Whoever you are, wherever you are, the invitation would be to respond to God's call, whatever that looks like in your life. Let's stand together, and we're going to pray and sing and worship, but hear me, whatever business with God you need to do, don't wait, don't put it off, don't look around and go, well, we need to get to lunch, lunch will wait, okay? Do business with God today. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so good to us. We're thankful that you do hear our sufferings, that you see us wherever we are and whatever sin and mess we're in, just like you saw Leah. And Lord, I pray today that if there be people here who do not know you, that they would take that step of faith, cry out to you to take to, to play, and they'll place their sins upon you and receive your righteousness through repentance and faith, through saying, God, I'm a sinner, and I believe that you have come and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead, and I confess you as Lord of my life, as the master, as the one who has control of the steering wheel of my life. And I pray that they would confess that, Lord, we need you. You are their only hope. And I pray for those here who do know you, that we will be reminded that idolatry will continue to be prevalent in our hearts and that we'll lay it down, that we'll seek you in these moments. Lord, and that you would be honored to meet us here as you promise where your people are gathered together, there you will be. So you're here now and we invite you to do whatever you would do among us as we sing and worship you Righteousness are all in all, and I pray that He will be in, the, in our lives and in our days ahead. Just a quick note if you're visiting with us today, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're in the community and would love to connect more, there's a welcome desk right outside with a connect card. We'd love to have you fill that out so we can know how to pray for you, follow up with you, and we have a little gift uh, for you uh, as well. Also, thank you to those who continue to give, whether in person or online. We'll be keeping the baskets at the door going forward, as well as the online giving, even uh, in the post-COVID days ahead. And we just are so thankful for our church family. And we close with a benediction, a blessing from Ephesians chapter three. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us,